Welcome to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. I am Michael Kingswood, retired naval officer, Christian, dad, and writer extraordinaire. I mostly focus on science fiction and fantasy, but I've been known to write just about everything under the sun, including the occasional romance. The purpose of this podcast is to share my stories with you, the reading slash listening public. So sit back and relax, because I'm going to tell you the story. Hi friends, I'm Michael Kingswood, and it's story time. It is Saturday, so it's time for Story Saturday. And I know what you're thinking, Kingswood, what did you do with your hair? Well, here's the thing. I was at LibertyCon this last weekend, and, you know, doing with my awesome Thor locks, and this very nice girl <laughs> talked to me the first evening. The second evening, she's like, dude, please let me braid your hair. So I let her, and these braids get going, and then this one kept going, and... I actually learned how to braid hair when I talked to her. And so I kind of kept it up. You know, I the fun thing about having curly hair is, and being a dork in high school, was <laughs> when in high school, I never let it grow out long enough. So it just kind of became an afro. And then I, as a dork, you get made fun of a little bit. And it was like, people, you know, were jealous of my hair. No, they weren't jealous of my hair. It's just I was kind of a jerk dork back then. And so that's what made fun of us. When I joined the Navy, I was like, cut, cut it off, cut it off. So I was in high and tight forever in the Navy. If you look back at my retiring from the Navy video, you can see that. Um, but when I got out of the Navy, about a year and a half after I got out, I was like, why do I still have a high and tight? What am I doing? So I grew it up. And of course, I it's become the glorious thing that it is but i don't like poof and this braiding thing cancels out the poof so i think i may keep it up we'll see anyway that's got nothing to do with story saturday except for the fact that i want to brag about the cool things of my hair anyway so as you know we are going through the stories that i wrote a couple of years ago as part of a challenge to write the uh, a story a week for a year and it got compiled into this huge thick collection of stories from the great challenge now this year we're doing the same thing again but we're not doing just one collection we're doing five and as you know the we've been kickstarting the individual volumes the kickstarter for camp volume number two was completed last week and we're in the process of sending that out to the people who backed it oh look i hear a plane in the overhead Maybe you hear it or not. Doesn't matter. Point is, uh, the joys of being in San Diego. Every now and then we get fighter planes coming overhead. It's kind of fun. Anyway, um, where was I? Oh, yes. So, Kickstarter number three is going to start end of July, plus or minus, depending on exactly when I get the uh, everything out to the backers from the last one. I have no reason to think that I'll get them out uh, any later than middle of July because... All the stories have been proofread, just a matter of formatting and getting them out. So that's cool. Um, excuse me. The um, So the third campaign will be starting at the end of July, and you guys can back it. In the meantime, this week we're reading story number 51 from the first challenge, which means we're almost done with it. Good thing we have lots more stories and novels and other things to read, which we will continue to do so. This one is story number 51, as I just said. It's called O'Bannon's Talisman. It is a fantasy story set in modern-day times. 
And it's awesome. It's awesome because I read it. It's awesome because I wrote it. It's also awesome because I'm reading it. And so you will like it. Enjoy. I will talk to you when the story is done. Humidity made Carl O'Bannon's shirt cling to his torso, almost completely soaked, despite not being out and about all that long. He felt like he was sweating a river, though in reality it wasn't all that hot out. It was like an ocean itself was condensing on top of him, and he helpless against its spread. For a moment there, he almost felt that for real, and a surge of dread filled him. He didn't know how to swim, so what would he do if an ocean... Dummy, he muttered to himself and forced that foolishness down deep. It was still bloody uncomfortable out. He'd left his little cottage on the outskirts of Riverwood and set off even further away from what amounted to civilization maybe half an hour ago, climbing upslope in his old, well-broken-in boots and brand-new jeans and a blue long-sleeve-collared shirt with a Red Sox baseball cap on his head, and very quickly regretted being so heavily dressed. The thought crossed his mind now as he stopped to lean against a maple tree to catch his breath and instead had his drowning fit that he ought to go back home and change or just bag this entire idea altogether. He looked down the gentle slope he had been ascending, his vision quickly obscured by tree trunks and undergrowth so he couldn't see more than a few hundred yards, but all the same he felt the presence of his home like a beacon calling to him. He was certain he was looking straight at it or rather at the talisman, over top his mantle. The relic passed down from father to son for generations, or so his grandfather had told him. It was bound to his line, and they would never be without it. Would know its lack if ever it went missing. And that had turned out to be literally true, for Carl at least. It was like a lodestone to his spirit. He could always turn and point straight at it, feel how far from it he was. Remarkable, considering the thing looked like a competent but not overly impressive oil painting of a jagged mountain peak thrusting up out of rolling hill country with the sun climbing up over the mountain's right flank. He felt it now, knew how far away it was, and realized it would take less time to just get up to where he was going and finish his chore than it would to go home and change. So screw it, he could deal with a little extra sweat and discomfort. Wouldn't be the first time. He pushed himself off the rough hardness of the maple's trunk and squared his shoulders, then resolutely turned back uphill and commenced climbing again. The glade he was heading toward was another half mile away and probably 150 feet above where he had stopped. The ground leveled out here, forming a little bowl where the hill continued to slope up on either side, but the flatness pushed back into the hill itself so that the back of the bowl was almost a sheer cliff. The trees grew more closely here, the trunks more thick, so from a distance, a person wouldn't know the little glade even existed. But after rounding and sliding his way past the seemingly impassable press of ever-growing wood, Carl stepped out into streaming sunlight. It had been overcast when he left his cottage. For most of his hike uphill, it had remained overcast through breaks in the trees that he could see. But here, the sun shone down without blemish of cloud, illuminating the crystalline pool at the center of the little bowl. Gray-brown rocks lined the edge of the pool, natural yet also somehow not. Like someone or something had placed their uneven bulks there intentionally to separate the water from the land, which was covered with the fine grass from the rocks to the edge of the tree line. No bare earth here at all, except on the cliff face at the rear of the bowl. The place was quiet. A feeling of utmost calm permeated it, and the temperature and humidity had changed from the oppressive soup air that Carl had trudged his way through to crisp and just pleasantly on the cool side of warm. 
It smelled of something semi-sweet that he could never quite put his finger on, nor could he find any source any of the times he had come here. The ever-pleasant and calming odor just lingered, like the place itself exuded it. Carl wasn't going to complain. This little glade was special. Sacred, Carl's grandfather had said. Not just anyone could find it, and even those who could would not always be able to access its greatest secrets. But his family could. Grandfather never explained why, just speculated that maybe there was some link between the glade and the talisman. That because their family was the keeper of the talisman, they could... Carl froze, his thoughts coming to a halt as quickly as his body, when a jolt went through his spirit to the very core of his essence. And then he realized it. The talisman was gone. The awareness that he had always lived with, that he had learned to live with, but had never been able to ignore completely, winked out, between one breath and the next, leaving him feeling like a vessel adrift, with no anchor and no engine, just bobbling along, without direction or meaning. Even as the realization of his sudden loss swept over him, Carl saw the light fading in the glade. He looked up and saw clouds encroaching, looked back down and saw the pool drying. The talisman was gone, and he was losing access to the power here, perhaps for all time. Biting back a curse, Carl turned and shoved his way through the tree trunks, now seemingly closer than they ever had been before, as though they were in fact merely one tree split into dozens and were now twisting back together into a single, solid hole. It felt like he was going to get stuck between the last pair of silent guardians, but then he was through through and sprinting downhill toward his house. He had to see what had happened. Carl was huffing and puffing and only thought he had been soaked with sweat before by the time he reached the cottage. He couldn't remember ever running that far so fast. It was only about a mile and a half total, but it seemed he emerged from the tree line to see his red vinyl-sided one-story abode mere moments after he started off. The front door was leaning open. The white painted jam surrounding it shattered where the deadbolt should have kept intruders out but apparently not determined intruders. Carl dashed inside and immediately his eyes swept to the back fronted fireplace at the back of his small living room, and more in particular, to the bit of wall above the polished oak mantelpiece. The painting was still there. For a second, relief swept through him, but then he realized the feeling of the talisman was still gone. Where was... He approached the mantel, slipping around his stuffed chair, which sat almost directly in front of the fireplace, its matched ottoman teasingly close to the transparent glass doors that separated the burning wood from the rest of the house. As he did so, he saw that the painting was there, but not all there. A piece of the canvas had been cut out, two-thirds of the way down from the upper right corner, a section maybe an inch square. Cut out and gone, and with it any feel of the talisman's presence. A car engine outside drew his attention back to the front of the house before he could fully consider the implications of that, Carl surged out the door in time to see an orange Dodge Charger zip out from behind his place to the left, fishtail in a sliding right-hand turn that tore up a sizable chunk of the grass in his front lawn and then tear off down the gravel path that made up his driveway, the one link from his house to the town not so very far away. There were two men in the car. As it sped past, Carl locked eyes with the feller in the passenger seat. Bright, dangerous green eyes tracked to follow his, then the car turned and swept out of sight. Son of a bitch, Carl said. Then he dashed back inside to the closet in his bedroom where he kept his shotgun and shells. Still there. Two minutes later, he was in his own car. Wasn't much, a late 90s model explorer 
whose once blue paint job was now turning to rust in the rear wheel wells, and whose headlight lenses were so UV-degraded they looked more milky than transparent. Still ran like a champ, though. As he sped down the gravel driveway, he racked his brain. Why would someone come for the talisman, and more in particular, how? It was a family heirloom never talked about with outsiders, or really, among the family, because all this time, Carl thought the talisman was the painting but apparently it was actually something hidden within the painting. But it didn't seem to do much except point the way home for him and his family members, and somehow, some way, give them access to the glade and its pool, which again, seemed to only have subtle effects. Why steal that, even if someone had learned of it somehow? He was still pondering when he came to the end of his very long driveway. The two-lane country road that the driveway teed into would take him back to Riverwood if he turned left, or onto the interstate 15 miles away, to the right. No one in Riverwood had a car like that Dodge. It would stand out like a sore thumb. If the thieves had gone that way, they would be easy to find. Probably. But it would take time, and if he was wrong, once they reached the interstate, he would lose them forever. Them and the talisman. Just let it go. The thought was hard to ignore. So he lost the thing. Not like it had ever really done him any good. And with Grandpa dead now, there was no one left in the family but Carl. Grandpa had had to watch both his sons die. Carl's dad to cancer when Carl was still a teenager, and Uncle Ted to the Gulf War. Carl only had vague memories of Uncle Ted, images and impressions, but Dad he remembered well even after all these years, and Grandpa all the more, since he had only passed three years earlier. Seemingly useless or not, the talisman was their family heritage, both men had impressed that on Carl his entire life. So he couldn't just let it go. Fine, but call the cops at least. And tell them what? That a magical talisman that didn't really seem to do much had been stolen by random strangers so he didn't know where they were from or who they were? Yeah, fat lot of good that would do. So he turned right onto the country road and gunned the engine. The speed limit far exceeded behind him. Carl kept his eyes locked on the road ahead. In his mind, the minutes ticked by slowly, inexorably, and with them, miles. There were two crossroads between his house and the interstate, and as he drew near to the first one, he considered that the thieves may have turned off on one of the two. He cast that thought aside as he began slowing toward the intersection ahead, and the yellow light turned to red. It wasn't that they couldn't have turned off, but he had to think they'd head toward their avenue of quickest return to wherever they came from. And anyway, if they had turned off, they were lost to him already and with them, his family heritage. So when the light turned, he gunned it again and said a silent prayer that his assumption was correct and that all was not lost. He passed through the second intersection without having to stop. He caught the timing of the light just right. Then a couple minutes later, he saw the overpass of the interstate looming ahead, still a few miles distant but plain to see. And there, approaching it but still with a ways to go, was that car orange? He was already going faster than he ever had in his Explorer. The wheel vibrated beneath his fingers as high speed amplified every little glitch in the steering system, in the wheel assembly, every tiny bump in the road. Still, the engine was purring like always, but was that a faint hint of burning he smelled? Like maybe some part of the exhaust plenum had parted, or had some wiring insulation begun to singe? And there was a rattle from somewhere in front of him to his right that he had never heard before but his quarry was in sight, so he depressed the accelerator again, and the explorer strained forward to even more speed. He was gaining at a more rapid clip than he would have thought. 
The car ahead was clearly visible now, definitely the Charger. For a second, he wondered at being able to catch up to such a more powerful car than his, then Reason wagged its finger at him. They wouldn't want to get pulled over. They would keep to the speed limit and drive conservatively, which meant he had an advantage, until they realized he was pursuing. He eased off the gas, letting his speed lower as he continued to gain on them, maybe a mile and a half away from the interstate now, and the Charger was a quarter of a mile ahead. Follow them. Wait for your time. He nodded to himself and reduced his speed more, so that he was only a bit above theirs, closing very slowly. Carl glanced down at his gas tank, two-thirds full. He could go about 150, maybe 200 miles on that. A satisfied smile made his cheeks feel like they were being compressed. Hard. Ahead, the Charger's brake lights came on, and it shifted over to the exit lane for the northbound on-ramp. Carl did the same. He lost sight of them as he rounded the long, circular ramp up onto the highway, but once he got firmly into the traffic flow in the interstate, he quickly gained them again. A few hundred yards ahead, past a single intervening car, in the right-hand travel lane, going just slightly above the speed limit. Carl hung back, watching them carefully as the minutes and miles ticked away again. They passed exit after exit, and the shadows were beginning to shift. Carl glanced to his left and saw that the afternoon sun had already begun dipping down toward the horizon. A glance at the clock on the console made his stomach twitch. Maybe a couple hours of daylight left. Once the sun went down, it would be next to impossible to keep track of the charger unless he were stuck directly behind them, and that probably would not be a good idea. Even Carl could pick out the same car behind him for a long time at night, and he'd had no training in this sort of thing to speak of. Of course, he'd have to stop for gas well before then at this rate. The needle was down to the halfway mark now. How much gas do they have, and would they need to stop before him? If not, he would have to make a move before he ran out completely. But what kind of move? Run them off the road? He snorted to himself. Even if he wanted to do that, then what? What if he seriously injured them or himself? Wouldn't do him much good to get the talisman back if he winded up in the hospital, or in jail, or both. Not to mention, if he wrecked his own car, how would he get back home? Really, what was the plan here? He hadn't thought it through, he'd just pursued. But now, with time and opportunity winding down, Carl found he really had no idea what he was going to do. One thing was certain, though. He couldn't just let his family's heritage drive away, not without at least making an attempt to get it back. Those thoughts swirled around and around in his head, going nowhere and generating no ideas at all, when up ahead, he saw the charger's blinker turn on. An exit ramp was coming up. The signs indicated gas stations and restaurants. Hope buoyed within Carl, and when the charger shifted into the exit lane, expanded. He followed them off the interstate and then to the right and found himself on a four-lane road. Ahead was an Exxon on the right, a 7-Eleven, and a McDonald's on the left. The charger was pulling into the McDonald's parking lot. Awesome. Carl pulled into the Exxon and stopped at the self-service pumps. He got out and set the pump to fill his tank, then hurried inside, glancing to see the charger stationary in the other parking lot and his two passengers heading inside before he did so. A trip to the bathroom and a bag of potato chips later, he finished topping off his gas and got back behind the wheel. The shotgun was propped up on the floorboard of his passenger seat. The shell box was on the seat next to his bag of ruffles. He always kept the shotgun loaded just in case, but not chambered. Now, as he considered that he only had the five shells from the tube... When he could have six, he regretted that precaution. Idiot, he said, shaking his head. You're not going into a gunfight. Not if you can help it. He looked away from the weapon back toward the McDonald's. 
The charger was still there and no sign of the men. They had parked on the side of the restaurant, away from its main entrance and opposite the 7-Eleven. There were only a few other cars in the parking lot. Maybe they had left the talisman in the car and he could go snatch it. Idiot, he said again. No way they'd be that dumb. The little scrap of painting or whatever else it was, they would keep on their person. They wouldn't risk losing it by chance. Still, he started the engine and put the Explorer in gear, then eased out onto the road. A quick shift of lanes and he was pulling into the McDonald's lot. If he couldn't nip the talisman from the car, he could at least get their plate number. Might be able to use it somehow to track them down if he lost them. Though how exactly he could do that, he had no idea. First things first. He pulled into the parking lot and slowly maneuvered around the restaurant toward the drive through entrance. That brought him past the charger, and he craned his neck to get a view of it. Yep, there was the plate. A-G-E-2182. Gotcha. Then he was passed into the drive through there was one car ahead of him, and the driver was taking her, it was certainly a her, sweet time ordering. In the rear view, Carl saw two men round the front of the McDonald's. He recognized their clothing. Both had black leather jackets and wore dark cargo pants and boots, as being the same as the men who had gotten out of the car when it parked. And sure enough, they made a beeline for the charger, one of them carrying a McDonald's takeout bag in his hand and the other one sipping from a cup with a straw. Carl looked back forward. The driver ahead still had not ordered. The men got into the charger and eased it back out of their parking spot. They drove out around the front of the building, and a white minivan came into view where they had just left. Damn it. Carl looked forward, still not done up there. Muttering to himself, he put the Explorer into reverse and looked back, to find the minivan stationary behind him in the drive through lane. Son of a bitch, Carl said. The minivan wasn't moving. His reversing lights had to be clearly visible, but no, the driver, an older man with curly gray hair, didn't seem to notice. In fact, he was gesturing impatiently through his windshield for Carl to get moving forward. Carl looked ahead and sighed with relief. The car ahead had finally moved up. He shifted back to drive and moved forward, ordered a strawberry milkshake, then sat impatiently while the people in front of him again took forever to take care of business. Then he got his drink and was finally able to get the hell out of there. The drive through window was located near the rear of the brick-fronted building. The exit lane passed about 30 feet of blank wall before emerging into the parking lot after passing a dumpster enclosure on the right. Up ahead, he saw three or four cars in the parking lot. He hoped against hope that one of them would be the charger, but no. Carl glanced toward the Exxon as he drew up alongside the dumpsters. A flash of orange ahead and to the right, and then he was surging forward in his seatbelt, as the sound of metal meeting and then tearing reached his ears and the car shuddered. The charger had been parked right up next to the dumpsters. Now it was halfway into the drive through exit lane, and his Cherokee's bumper had just impacted its right quarter panel. Oh, shit. Adrenaline surged through Carl as the two front doors of the charger opened and the two men got out. The passenger, blonde-haired and green-eyed, Carl could still remember the near shine of those green orbs as they sped out of his property, stopped and put his hands on his hips, shaking his head as he looked at the impact zone. The driver, darker of hair and skin, his hair was nearly black it was so brown, stepped all the way around the two cars until he was standing next to Carl's driver window. He knocked on the window with his knuckles. Swallowing, Carl hit the button to lower the glass. The man had lighter eyes than Carl would have imagined from the rest of him. Brown-orange, the tint of which Carl wasn't sure he'd ever seen on a man before. You suck at tailing people, O'Bannon, the man said in a smooth baritone that sounded, if anything, amused. 
Adrenaline surged again, and Carl fought to keep his face calm. He wasn't sure how well he succeeded, but he could feel the sweat beginning under his arms as his body began responding. I don't know what can it, the guy said, his initial good humor leaving abruptly, replaced by icy steel. He met Carl's eyes with a gaze that was even harder than his tone and shook his head slightly. What I don't get is what you thought you were going to do. Jump us? Play, he gestured toward the shotgun, which had to be clearly visible from where he was standing. Some kind of half-assed Rambo routine? The man shook his head, making a tisking sound. Carl didn't respond, partly because the man's question so readily paralleled the questions he was asking himself not so many minutes ago, but also because he wasn't entirely sure his voice wouldn't break from nerves at this point, and he didn't want to give the guy the satisfaction. For a second, he thought about just gunning it into reverse and getting away back how he'd come in through the drive through lane. Then he recalled the minivan, and he lost that idea. A glance in the rear view shelved that idea even further as he saw the minivan right up behind him, the gray-haired man staring hard at him. But this wasn't a stare of annoyance, it was more serious, and Carl saw something black sitting atop the minivan's dashboard, no doubt intentionally so he could see it. A gun. The minivan guy and the charger guys were in cahoots. Carl swallowed. Hard. So this is the part, the driver continued, drawing Carl's eyes back to him, where we give each other our information. He flashed an ironic grin. But I already know yours, O'Bannon, so this is your one chance. He leaned in slightly, and Carl could feel the hot breath on his face as the man spoke again, his tone gone past cold to entirely menacing. Let. It. Go. Then he retreated fully back out of the window again, and his tone returned to the almost playful, amused voice he used at first. No sense getting you or your family hurt over something you didn't really know what to do with in the first place, right? With that, the driver smacked his hands down onto the open window frame of the explorer's door. Then he turned and walked back toward his car. From the other side of the explorer, Carl heard another knock. He turned to see the blonde guy staring in at him earnestly, and Carl lowered that window as well. Hate to tell you, buddy, but your tire popped when you hit us. He was fidgeting with his hands, just high enough that Carl could see he was closing the blade of a pocket knife. Blondie grinned at him, amused mockery in the expression. Hope you got a spare. Then he followed his buddy and got into the car. The engine started, and the damaged car pulled away from Carl's Explorer, then turned left and accelerated out of the parking lot. It proceeded toward the interstate on-ramps, and Carl saw it switch on its blinker, indicating a left-hand turn into the southbound lanes of the interstate. Son of a bitch, Carl said. He pulled the Explorer out of the drive through exit lane and into a parking spot, then got out and watched as the minivan passed him. The driver gave him a mocking little salute with one finger and followed his fellows out of the parking lot. Carl stepped out and watched the van go and made note of its number, PYT3145. Then he opened his cargo compartment door. He did indeed have a spare, but it would take him a good half hour or so to get the flat off and the spare on. There was no way he would ever find either of the vehicles with that long of a head start, not today, but he at least had something to go on for later. Maybe the orange-eyed driver was right. Maybe Carl should just let it go. He didn't really know what the heck the talisman was or what it did. Near as he could tell, near as Grandpa had ever said, it didn't really do much at all except that beacon routine. Was that really worth risking his neck over, even if he managed to find some way to use those plate numbers to his advantage? The image of Grandpa's eyes so earnest, so proud as he told Carl the story of their family's legacy, 
and the talisman they had been bequeathed by fate came to Carl's mind, and he put those questions aside. O'Bannons may not be rich or powerful, but they were also not pushovers, and he wasn't just going to give up on his family's heritage. No, sir. So he changed the flat. Then he drove back to the interstate and then toward home. He was going to need a plan and some help. And more than a little bit of luck. Okay, so as I mentioned before, some of these stories towards the end of this first grade challenge collection uh, were, as I finished them up, were like obviously setups for longer stories to come down the road. And clearly this one is too. Uh, guy gets his you know, heirloom thing stolen and he's got to figure out how to get it back how have i written the follow-up to that not yet am i going to probably <laughs> get promised when it's one of those things where i've got you know millions of different projects going on but i do think this is a kind of a fun engaging tale anyway and hopefully you did too uh if you did by all means Make sure you hit the like here, or if, if you didn't like the story, you're just like me, hit the like button here. And if you haven't haven't subscribed yet to this uh, the video stream or the podcast stream, whether you're doing video or audio, up to you. Make sure you're subscribed and tell all your buddies. You can also go, and you should go and buy the collection. I know what you're thinking, Kingswood. You've already read us most of the... Uh, you know, stories from the collection. Why should I buy it? Because you like it. And you like me. And you wanted to keep these stories coming, which means you need to, you know, help the author out who is providing all this great stuff for you. So, go by michaelkingswood.com slash store. Buy all the books. There's dozens of books up there. Some of them are short stories, some of them are novels. Doesn't matter. Buy them all. The best place to get them, of course, is what I just told you, michaelkingswood.com slash store, because that's come straight to my uh, business. Cut out the Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobol, all those other guys, middleman, get me more profit. Now, of course, you can go to all those other places. I'm going to put a link up here, michaelkingswood.com slash books to read, with the number two. That gets you to your universal book link um, aggregator thing where you can then click on a title and it'll take you, you can pick what store you want to go to and get all the books. And Hey, that's cool there too. Better to come straight to me before I more profit, but up to you. <clears throat> you also need to come back here next Saturday for story Saturday and stick around the channel. We uh, do live streams every now and then during the week uh, when I have something to talk about. Of course, as, as Kickstarter campaigns are going on, we have more often, doing that just to give updates on the campaign and yeah you know, i talk about naval history and other things on occasion i need to get back into my naval history we called it warship wednesday which i want to change the name of because it sounds like you're going to church but it's talking about warships i gotta think i think i need to change the name on that anyway haven't done it in a while need to get back to it point is we do a bunch of stuff around here but the whole point, of course, is to grift the books. So if you like what I'm doing around here, subscribe to the channel, tell your buddies, come buy books, come back next week, and we'll do story time again. Next week is going to be the final story in Stories from the Great Challenge. It's story number 52, and it's called Stasis Treatment. It is 
more of a sci-fi in a fine in a modern setting and it's a little different you'll you'll see when we get to it um come back next week we'll read it to you and you can uh decide that yes i really like that one too because you like all of these stories because you have good taste and then the following week we will proceed on with more readings from other stuff i haven't quite decided how we're going to play that yet um i'll let you know what i know <laughs> anyway uh thanks for stopping by uh yeah i'll talk to you later until then don't do anything i wouldn't do Thanks for listening to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. For information on my books, visit michaelkingswood.com or visit my web store at ssnstorytelling.com. My books are all available through all the various e-tailers, but buying direct from me nuts me the most profit. For information on new releases and other special deals in the future, sign up for my newsletter on my website. Storytime with Michael Kingswood is copyrighted Michael Kingswood. Intro and outro music is copyright Gene Paul Zogby, licensed through stockmusic.net. All rights reserved. <laughs>